all had a very festive and uh, unforgettable musical weekend. <laughs> yes, indeed. I enlightened the boys to some uh, Danish uh, masterpieces. Danish masterpieces, yes. such as Midomnatum. Right? The only uh, Danish masterpieces I've ever been introduced to usually are consumed at breakfast. Oh, but you know we call them we call them Vienna bread here. So Danish, so it's a mystery where they're really from. We've got a great chapter yes. this episode, guys. It is great. Yes, I was going to say I wish we'd had a more uplifting chapter, but then none of them are. <laughs> I couldn't yes. name maybe a Tyrion chapter where he's like fooling everybody is the only close to happy chapter that we'll we're ever gonna get in this series. You know what I found to be uplifting though was this news that I read. <laughs> okay, what news was this? Elaborate, please. This was uh, released right around Thanksgiving time, actually. So it it almost perfectly coincided with the holiday, and uh, it's a little bit of information on what we can expect for the big episode nine uh, of season Ooh. four, as we've Ooh. seen with past seasons of Game of Thrones, episode nine really seems to be the episode that people end up talking about. I don't know. I think this season might be different, but I'll just leave it there. I, I'm, I might have to agree with you on that mm -hmm. as well, but uh, you guys mean you think other episodes, tell. you think other episodes will be big, be bigger? Yes. Well, not oh. bigger, but more talk-worthy, mm, okay. maybe. Well, Neil Marshall, who uh, was the person who directed this particular episode, he also uh, directed Blackwater. Oh, I hope that's an indicator. He did say that he thinks it's going to be a bigger episode than Blackwater. and Bigger um, than Blackwater? Yeah, in some ways it's going to be bigger than Blackwater. And for him, he also said that Blackwater was easier to do. For a number of reasons. Well, just <laughs> that, because he's um, blowing shit up all the time. Oh yeah, pretty God. much. How hard is that? There's uh, going to be over 200 extras and a very large stunt crew. Hungarian stunt guys. That's exciting. Um, and yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool. But uh, I'm gonna get off this page real quickly. You do and that rely on because the, there is a yeah. line that says. Since the director is referring to events that occur in the episode, his further remarks do not contain spoilers and will be posted under the cut. You chose to go underneath the cut. Well, I mean, I think that every episode in this TV series, you know, as we go forward, the tension is just going to grow and mm. grow. It, every every episode feels like a little movie at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we can say that uh, you know, he points out that there are going to be three different battles going on at the same time in different places. The question is, where are those places going to be? Mm -hmm. And what are the results of those battles going to be? Where indeed? Yeah, oh, and so we, we can't even be sure because they're moving some stuff around from the books. So who knows what at this point in season four, how far or not far they've progressed with the different storylines. Absolutely. Well, it is December now, which means the new season, season winter four. Winter is here. Winter is here, but also... <laughs> Oh, I think it's only four months until the premiere, right? Won't it premiere yes. at the very last, like, very very end of March? So yeah, beginning probably of April, beginning so. of April, yeah. That's four months away, guys. Just Woo. just under. Just under four months until we have season four. Ten straight weeks of awesome. Uh, another thing that we did, uh, that we were watching for over the weekend, is a few more comments that were coming in over winteriscoming.net and on Twitter. And uh, just sort of, you know, we, we always ask that people uh, try and keep up with us uh, sending, you know, their owns for different chapters that we've read, characters owning one another and the like. 
and we've just got a few here to read uh, before we get into our Catlin chapter uh, that covers some of the previous topics that we talked about very recently. Ooh, can I read the first one? Please do. It's a controversial one. I like it. Okay, so Sunspirit writes, Okay, regarding the idea that if Arya was trapped in King's Landing like Sansa, she wouldn't survive two weeks, B.S. I just wanted that yes. for the sass. Um, Arya survived her ordeal with Whis the same way Sansa survives in King's Landing by knowing when to keep her mouth shut. And Arya without the protection of Rob killing Jamie if she died. Okay. I can understand people wanting to defend Sansa, but doing so by tearing down Arya is never going to work. We just can't win. Arya is just a smarter, nicer, and fiercer character that Sansa is. Hmm. This is interesting. I think, like, Arya is definitely fiercer. Um, but if Arya had been trapped at King's Landing at the beginning of the story, that might have been different because by the time she get, you know, to be fair to both characters, by the time she gets to Whis, she has been through so much that it has sort of hardened her, which is sort mm. of Sansa's, I think Sansa's problem at the beginning is that she's just in a different circumstance. I mean, I'm not comparing the two characters, but she hasn't been through the same kinds of things and she probably wouldn't be able to survive. You know, it's all a matter of circumstance. So Sansa, by the time she has gone through a number of different things, she learns to acclimate. But at the beginning, Sansa is able to play Joffrey or, or to, to sort of allow Joffrey to treat her terribly, which is why she survives. If it had been Arya, I think she would have tried to escape. She would have tried to killed Joffrey. She would have done all of those things. And if she had succeeded, then great. But she probably wouldn't have succeeded. And then she would mm. have been killed, you know? Yeah, I, th I think that Sansa's ability to play at court really shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not even by Catelyn in this chapter we're about to read today. Nice. Um, she mentions that even at the, like age three, Sansa was a lady. Mm -hmm. And th that's the sort of thing that's required to survive at King's Landing. Exactly. So, so like maybe Arya, I mean, she did escape. So saying, mm -hmm. oh, if she had stayed there, that might be a bit redundant. But I think if she hadn't been able to escape, she probably would have tried to kill Joffrey or to do something. And then she wouldn't have survived. Whereas Sansa could take all of the abuse and you can make of that what you will. But I think at this point in the series, she's still alive. So it has helped her out. Mm. You know, I like the idea of uh, the Yorin experience as being a formative experience for Arya as mm. well. For getting her to be kind of colder and, and, and harder of a person and the fact that she rescued um, Jack and Hagar and those and those three guys or those two other guys, um, you know, all of those kind of building her character, building her confidence. Yeah. And the idea that Jake and gives her, you know, I'm going to kill three guys for you, gives her that power mm. um, is not power she would have easily come by in King's Landing. Yeah. But I mean, that said, it's all sort of a moot point because they didn't switch positions so we can never really know because there's a million times that Arya almost died and there are probably a million times where Sansa almost died and maybe you know you never know mm -hmm. yeah so uh, we, we do want to thank Sunspear for sending that in um, or mm. putting that on the, the comments section of I'm Wick. just trying to remember though who defended Sansa I think we all kind of did yeah, I know was, I did uh, but wasn't it the Sansa chapter we were like hey you know if their roles were reversed it would mm. be a different story it's always because people always assume that we don't like Sansa for whatever reason, so I'm always very quick to be like, um, we do. <laughs> but uh, just quickly, I know in this comment that Sunspear mentions they do so by tearing down Arya. Um, yeah. I don't think anybody no. was doing that at all. I, I think that – and this has been pointed out really through much of the conversation that's that's already been had, but 
Sansa really has to have some pretty harsh experiences in order for her to learn to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. And you could say the same about Arya, but I just think that Arya, because of the situation that she is in, has to adapt much quicker because yeah. it means certain death if she doesn't. Yeah. But, so how is that different from what Sansa's facing? Well, Sansa isn't maybe facing the same kind of certain death because she is protected in some ways. No, and I she mean, finds she, ways uh, to protect herself, too, that are different from our... I mean, their circumstances are just different. Okay. I mean, I was going to say, if she still were to... If Sansa were to insult Joffrey, he could kill her. Yeah. Um, regardless of whether or not uh, Queen Cersei wanted to save her because it was a strategic advantage to have a Stark, you know, as hostage. Yeah. Um, I think that really Joffrey really could do anything he but wants. But I think so. if if they it's too now not to go too much into this because we're not George R. R. Martin, but I think if they had found themselves in a situation where they had had Arya but not Sansa, Cersei probably would have done and Tyrion probably would have done a lot more to keep Arya from Joffrey because A, she wasn't engaged to him, and B, they would know that if Joffrey killed Arya, they would lose Jamie. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's all these things <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's very different. It's interesting how little changes mm. can be. Or, but ultimately, like, I mean, if if you, Sunspear, if you got the impression that we were tearing down Arya, we certainly are not. I think she's a lot of our favorite characters, but I still think that I would go that Sansa, far. <laughs> oh, she's. I think she's okay. I know you're sick of Arya. She's one chapters. of my favorite characters. Yeah, she's one of my favorite yeah. characters. But then so is Sansa. So you know, and so is Jaime Lannister, and that's so. why I'm excited <laughs> this week. <laughs> Well, we have another comment here uh, relating to Sansa, but also the Hound, and this is... Um, He's not one of my favorite characters, guys. I'm sorry. No? No? no. Okay. Uh, this is from Hodor's Bastard. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I like it already. Who says, I wish Sullied and Unsullied alike would stop with the San slash San stuff. It's creepy. <laughs> GRRM, meaning George R. R. Martin, spent a major part of his career writing... For Beauty and the Beast, and we can tell it had an obvious creative effect on him, especially considering how he writes the Sandor slash Sansa and Sandor slash Arya, Drogo slash Danny, even LF slash Sansa. What's LF? Littlefinger. Ah, and Joffrey slash anyone scenes. (laughs) Beasts come in all shapes, sizes, ages, social classes, and mentalities. It's part of the world George R. Martin has created, and in my humble opinion, the Sandor Sansa stuff is one of the more tame storylines in A Song of Ice and Fire. This San slash San creepiness angle that some observe is much ado about nothing. In the books, the Hound saved his little bird at least three times from worse situations and nothing happened between them. Hmm. Yes, he has a depraved personality, has been abused in the past, is quite unstable, and he shocked and scared Sansa, making many of us uncomfortable. But that Beauty and the Beast paradigm has been present in works of fiction and art for hundreds of years. We discuss it because it is interesting in context, not because we're obsessed with it. Yeah, I mean, each to their own. I'm just a Jamie and Brandon shipper, I don't care. (laughs) I'm kidding. Which one of them is the Beast? Which one of them? Oh Oh my Uh, god, Eric! No, if, the glove if has been tossed. Well, the third comment comes from Tonka92 on Winter is Coming, and they say Jon Snow might not be the only one with a previously unknown power here. Just as you were talking about bleeping something out, my computer made a horrific digital skipping slash bleeping noise and promptly crashed. I, for one, welcome <laughs> our new digital overlords. That's nice. I, I approve That's... of the title. 
let's see if we can do it again, guys. So, like, zoom, zoom, computer crash, now. Somebody's computer. Yes, if, uh, if you are listening to our podcast, we want to thank our digital overlords for allowing that to happen. Yes. And, uh, but anyway, final comment here from Holly Oak. I'm catching up on the podcast and I'm on the episode titled Where the Wildlings Are. <laughs> I love our <laughs> That's so funny. That's all Zach. Just wanted to say I really enjoyed the episode where you guys broke it down on the House of the Undying chapter. I love Zach's ridiculous habit of adding MMORPG terms to the characters. For instance, Captain Scaryface and his plus 180 intelligence dagger. LOL. That chapter analysis was the greatest fan-wank slash nerd-out ever, and I loved every second of it. Keep up the good work. And Selena, I loves me some Selena. Holly Oak, fan-wank, nerd-out. Okay, <laughs> maybe that should have been the title of that episode. I liked where the but, wild um, things are. <laughs> oh, that was funny. I laughed <laughs> when I saw that. Well, that wraps up the comments that we had uh, leading into this episode, and without further ado, I think we should get back down to it. Uh, Catelyn, chapter seven? Chapter, let me see this. Seven. Catelyn chapter seven. We are so close to the end of the book now. Are we? Yeah. This yeah, was not a good Eric. chapter. No, you know what? We're 15 chapters away. I just looked this up. Yeah, We're but out of like away. 200 or something. <laughs> there were 70, to be okay. fair, or 69. Yeah. So we're on 50, 55 of 69. It looks like just taking an, another peek at here, there's a lot of Sansa. Holy crap. They managed to fit in six, so, wait, six, six, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, right. ten. You're going to wish four, for an RA chapter by the end of this. There are four more Sansa chapters yep. within the next 14 episodes. Ugh. And one Arya chapter. Yeah, and only one Arya. So there you go. We know who da- uh, George likes more. Not very many Dannys either, but uh, a couple more no, Tyrions. Remember, she only has, a, what, five chapters? Five, yeah, and Tyrion has 15. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay. Well, anyway, let's Playing uh, not favorites, look ahead George, any. we see you. Let's look to the present because the glorious return of Jamie Lannister is upon us and I will wave my flag and put on my rainbow coat in support. Not that that was him, but you get what I mean. Both Brienne and Jamie are in this chapter. This is like <laughs> the beginning of a beautiful friendship and they don't even know it. Jamie is a this is a really good chapter, I think, because we we get like a lot of um of Catelyn reflecting on what she believes are the deaths of Bran and Rickon. And this is something actually that I think we really missed out on in the show. Do you know, hurt them because we, because in the show we already knew that they, you know, spoiler alert, that they weren't dead. So it wasn't really, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of time for Catelyn and, jo- and um, Rob to sort of grieve because they didn't have a lot of storyline in season three. Whenever they found out, there wasn't a lot of time for them to react um, to it. But I think, in this chapter, it was really interesting to see Catelyn just being so beyond devastated by all the horrible things she's seen. Well, it reminds me of the scene in season three, oddly enough, where she says it was all my fault. She confides in, I think it's Rob's wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's all my fault that they did this. It's kind of similar to that where she is going through and wondering if she wasn't a good mother, clearly, yeah. because she she's her, all her kids are, are dying now and this this the fact that she got this letter saying that Bran and Rickon had been killed she really doesn't feel like she was able to protect any of them um she's feeling quite horrible as a mother would but i'm it's, sure it's but it's funny you say that because that's actually one of the things that people really really hated about season 3 is that conversation oh yeah i agree but perhaps it should have been sooner but it's funny you that know? that you say that it, it's like a scene in the book because i think that's what a lot of people pointed out that it wasn't but i think you're right 
Yeah. It's, it's very weird though. And I, I know we touched upon this, uh, last week is that you, you first hear about this from Tyrion, right? And, th- and then now you're finally getting it confirmed from Catelyn, but you don't experience it from Theon, who is the, you know, the character who we know to be chasing both Bran and Rickon. So mm-hmm. you wonder or, to or yourself, Bran. Who is a recurring point of view to, you know, you don't, you don't have the chapter where he's being chased, gets run down and dies. Um, which could have been, you know, an option considering he is a recurring point of view character in this book. Right. And it, it's interesting in this chapter how you have everything that she's going through being juxtaposed by a huge party that is taking place because of Rob and his victories and I just think back on everything that Catalan is experiencing, and that really goes back to what happened in the first book with Ned having his head chopped off, and here she sits with Arya missing, Sansa at the mercy of, of Cersei and King's Landing, Brandon Rickon dead, Rob off fighting, her brother off fighting, her uncle off fighting, her father dying. Yeah, she goes and visits her father in this chapter as well. After find, you know, after she she's basically down eating some food with Brienne. They have a there's a, a little bit of discourse there, um, which is interesting. We will be talking about it, but she goes and visits her father, and her father doesn't know she's there, and she holds his hand for hours and hours and hours. And there's people singing and dancing outside, you know, for Rob's victory and the poet is there and everybody's having a good time outside. She's, she's there. Like she's also about to lose her dad. Like she just lost her two sons just today. She found out about this Mm. first thing in the morning. And then she's, she's going and visiting her father. It's really not a good time for Catelyn. No, (laughs) No, it never is a good time for Catelyn. There's this quote that I wanted to read and perhaps it may mean more to Selena than it does to you, Eric, but I thought (laughs) it was really important to, to point it out. It's, it's actually on the first uh, page of the chapter and it's her subconscious. And it says, I take no joy in meat or mead, and song and laughter have become suspicious strangers to me. I am a creature of grief and dust and bitter longings. There is an empty place within me where my heart was once. Oh, doesn't that, doesn't that, mm. what you read there, doesn't it start with like, I am a stone woman or something? Sour woman. Sour woman. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a really good quote. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it is. It's, for, it's, for many listeners, it, it will have larger implications as well. I just, I don't want to miss an opportunity to point something out mm-hmm. uh, when it's so readily available and pointed out by George himself. You know, she's, she's in grief. She's grief, grief mode. She's grief stricken. And why shouldn't she be? I mean, something that I learned in this chapter, I had forgotten it. Um, was that she was pulled away from Bran's bedside before he had awakened or mm-hmm. had awoken. Yeah. So she actually doesn't have any memories of him, you know, since the fall, essentially, since before the fall when she told him, don't climb those rocks, <laughs> don't say goodbye to your father, and he did anyway, Um, was really the last time they saw each other eye to eye. Yeah, and it is going to be the last time they see each other. Really? Oh, I mean, yeah, because they, they won't get back together. They won't get back together. So this is tragic. We mm. have the, the foreknowledge of the TV series that they won't be getting back together. You know, in the books, I'd like to think that he could come to her. He may be in the dreams or something, if he isn't in fact dead, as the book currently wants you to believe. Mm. Um, you know, he went, he went to John and even though Catelyn's not a Stark, he I went have to, to the believe, John. <laughs> he went to the John. Did you say that? I believe I said I went, he went to John. 
But um, whatever, the John as well. Um, we don't want to hear he, about that, Eric. This is a book. But that was, that was just a theory. Um, mm. So Catelyn is grieving. However, one of the coolest things about Catelyn is she's on a little bit of a roll. You see, she's got this uh, trick that she uses. <laughs> when she wants to get information from somebody, she gets them drunk. This worked very well with Cleo's fray. Um, so she decides to try it again, this time on the Kingslayer who is in the dungeons at Riverrun. Yeah, he is. she sent him some wine earlier in the day, and now is telling Brienne at uh, as they feast, slowly, methodically, as if their meal was a chore, um, that she wants Brienne to meet her at midnight. They're going to go talk to the Kingslayer. And, I, I, you know, I think she tells Brienne, she wasn't going to initially, but she tells Brienne about her kid's death, and Brienne is every bit as sympathetic as you would possibly hope. Um, it's actually a really <laughs> nice scene between the two of them. These two women um, who are so different, you know, but at the same time, they're able to connect. Yeah. It was interesting that she decided to so willingly open up to Brienne about her children, but I feel like she just wanted to let it out at that point. And she not only talks about Bran and Rickon, she goes into great detail really about all of her children. And I think... There's a lot to be said in terms of comparisons between Arya and Brienne. Yeah, definitely. Oh. I think they we point they it's pointed out like a lot in the both in the books and the show that they're so similar. Like, oh, really? Brienne is like a future version of Arya, pretty much, hmm. in a lot of ways. Because and especially yeah. because of the female warrior thing. I mean, that's what Catelyn sees in Brienne. She sees something that Arya could also, in a lot of ways, be. Yeah, in this chapter, she describes Arya as being part boy, part wolf pup. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's yeah. It's she she may grow into, you know, a woman quite like Brienne. I mean if if in in a perfect in Arya's perfect world, that's exactly who she would be. You know, she would grow up to actually be a knight. And I think if Arya ever met Brienne, she would really look up to her. As I would. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think all of us would look up to her cuz Brienne is pretty tall. Oh, I, I knew you were going to say that. But uh, of course the heart of this chapter, the real reason to read this chapter in the books and to not just completely skip over it for all the grief that's happening is because Catelyn does go down into the dungeons with an escort from Brienne and she speaks with the Kingslayer. And, you know, he hasn't touched his wine. And this is no. kind of one of the first of many brilliant exchanges clever. between the two of them. But I remember Jamie saying that uh, he felt that she was going to poison him. And uh, she said, you know, I've had you for, for ages down here. Why why wouldn't I just kill you or have you own. killed? And he said, own. some <clears throat> some poisons. <clears throat> what? Own. <clears throat> Death by poison can seem natural. Harder to claim than my head simply fell off. <laughs> and thus, Catelyn has to convince him that she did not poison him. Eventually, he does drink the wine and he enjoys it. It is a, bit. a woman's weapon, you know. Mm, yes. They point this out a yes. lot in the show. I'm trying not to judge. Um, I think that's said for a very important reason. It's not just Jamie saying death by poison can seem natural. Jamie and Catelyn do get to have a conversation for for our ears, and Jamie comes right out and admits to throwing Bran from the tower right away. You know, they get into this bartering system where uh, essentially J Jamie's been fed all this misinformation from the guard, Zorg or whatever his name is, <laughs> and um I think I think the the issue with him is that really the, the thing he craves most is knowledge of what's going on in the outside world, and he trusts Lady Sansa 
um, only so much, or whoa, Lady Catelyn, only only so much as you know she can trust him. But they do get this discourse going, and it's all because he's sort of lost sense of time, being down here without any light, without a calendar, without anybody to really talk to. His voice is raspy, and the wine's the only reason she can even make out what he's saying. So, um, you know, ultimately they do trade, they do begin this trade, and the information gleaned from this conversation is really important not just for the characters but for us it's great character building for jamie but we also learn kind of even a deeper mystery um for instance about the dagger you know that that attacked uh brand that it wasn't in fact jamie or uh cersei who sent that dagger and that peter has essentially just lied to catelyn which she believes now yeah it, it was definitely within their traveling group that's pointed out when Robert showed it to Jamie the night at the feast, right? So somebody within their contingency had the knife in their possession. And if we're to believe Jamie, as of right now, it was Robert Baratheon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I don't know why Rob would kill Bran or send Bran to be killed just to keep quiet the uh, s- secret that he would, wouldn't even – didn't even know, mm. which was that – Cersei and 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 Jamie were together. So, what do you believe at this point, though? I mean, can I ask you specifically? You know, like who heard, do I believe sent you've the heard Tyrion side? You've heard Jamie's side. You've heard Baelish's side. What What do you think? I don't know what they have to be. Somebody didn't want that secret out just then. But as Jamie says, if he had wanted it done, he'd do it himself. I really believe that, and Catelyn believes that too. When he says that, that he really would have killed Bran himself. I mean, he pushed him out of a window for crying out loud. Um, I believe that for, it's somebody that Baelish is protecting or Baelish just wanted uh, Baelish just wanted to have an extra card to play at the right moment and therefore sent Bran to be destroyed so he couldn't spoil the secret himself. I think somebody wanted leverage over the queen and didn't want Bran to have that leverage, that same leverage. They wanted to be the only one with it. Um, you know, the way Ned ended up dead once he found out Whoever it was, you know, clearly hides in shadow. So I think it was Baelish or somebody like him. Mm. So we've we're starting to absolve different characters here, though. I'm, even Cersei says in one of the the previous chapters that uh, she could have scared him into silence, and Jamie kind of confirms that here himself when he says that Cersei keeps no secrets from him. And I think Jamie says the same thing too. He could have, you know. Stunned the boy into silence, or made made him keep quiet some other way. Um, the it, it's interesting because these Lannisters who we're viewing as the villains this whole time, and certainly Joffrey is a monster, um, but they're not the ones who killed Bran or went went you know with this dagger had the uh, interest in killing Bran. And Catelyn is forced to kind of I don't want to say absolve because she doesn't absolve Jaime really for any of his misdeeds. She begins to think back on Tyrion and the fact that Tyrion, when they were traveling in the Mountains of the Moon uh, and all that stuff, Tyrion told her that story about the dagger and told her that it wasn't Jaime's, that it was no longer his, that it had changed hands. And she didn't believe him then. She's like, oh, you're evil. You'll say anything to get out of this, that sort of thing. Um, She's now having to kind of um, grope with the idea of having been wrong about Tyrion, about the Lannisters. Um, and also to cope with the idea that there's probably another threat out there that she didn't even know was there. 
I do like your theory about Baelish. We'll see uh, how that plays out. Yeah, I wonder when they'll reveal it in the show. I think that it has to be pretty soon. This season. Yeah. If they're going to, to really... Be. If they're going to go back to it, because what's the point? I mean, they in a way they have to, but with Catelyn gone and Bran so far away, I mean, the question is how much it'll... It'll probably be like a passing remark or something. Yeah. So, do we want to talk about Jamie? So let's talk about Brandon Stark. Why? <laughs> Damn it! Why would wants you to take it me? This story, because this tells a story. This is what Jamie's good for. Okay, storytelling. And Jamie does it's nothing. Not what Jamie's good for. He gets that's good. What he, that's what he's good for. And and objecting when everybody calls him the Kingslayer. And he like he has some great lines about this. He's tired of being called Kingslayer. Mm. Um, because we finally he get a piece of the story from his point of view, which I really love. Yes, as he explains it to her. Mm. And I'll let you take it away, but in general, he's just, he's tired of being called Kingslayer. What he did for the realm in killing, uh, King Eris was a damn favor to everybody. Yeah. Uh, who knew him. I mean, I don't know how much I can take it away because really I just wanted to talk about Jamie. But, um, <laughs> I think this is interesting because this is the, the sort of big revelation story that we got at the end of season three, you know, in the bath, the famous bath scene with Brienne, it was very similar to this. Um, and I don't know if, if I, I don't really, I'm sure he, there's more, you know, that he's going to reveal later on, but it sort of felt to me like this is the crux of the story. And at this point, reading back, I already feel sympathy for Jamie because I already know the story. So it's hard to judge if I don't remember if at this point I already started changing my opinion or if that came later. What do you think, Micah? Do you remember? I think that this is the beginning when you start to realize that perhaps Jamie is not as bad of a character yeah. as initially was let on. And look, I am not in any way justifying throwing a child out of a window. Uh, <laughs> he certainly has his flaws, but this preceded that. And you really, when he's telling this story, and it reminded me a lot of when he was telling the story in the uh, the baths with Brienne about what happened finally to the Mad King himself and why Jamie chose to kill him. This almost reinforces that when he's telling this story to Catelyn. You almost can feel for why he chose to betray his, his oath. Mm -hmm. And here Catelyn should almost be thankful for what Jamie has done because yeah. the Mad King was sadistic and decided to kill Brandon Stark and, and 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 Ned's father really for no reason at all other than the fact that Brandon was marching on King's Landing to avenge his sister. Well, who knew that King Eris was Jigsaw, the killer from the Saw movies? I mean, who knew that really? Because <laughs> um, if you look at the way that he Brandon was, was killed, up, yeah. if you look at the way that Brandon was killed and the way that his father was killed. It's very reminiscent of those flicks where he's supposedly given the option to save his father if only he could reach his knife and he's being tied, you know, kind of back, held from his sword. And every time he moves forward, the, the rope around his neck becomes tighter. Meanwhile, his father's being set on fire. Um, <laughs> so his father's being set on fire. So I just think that it's a good thing that Eris uh, was no more after that. And it's just a real shame that in the few moments following this event, you know, Jamie went and sat on the throne. Um, and that's when Ned walked in. And for that reason, Ned 
always mistrusted him, always didn't like him, even though Jamie really kind of wanted to say, hey, I just avenged the Starks. Mm. So it's interesting because the Starks kind of do owe Jamie in particular some gratitude or something. But he seems to have – it's the way that fate has played out is that it, it's become a little twisted. And Jamie throwing Bran out the window obviously revoked any any kind of thing they owe him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this just really paints a, a, a good picture and, and ties a lot of things together that maybe up until this point the reader does not know about. You know, th- this this whole backstory with, you know, the Mad King and Jamie and, and even Tywin and, and the Starks and you know, you're finally starting to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together from what transpired back when the Targaryens were still in power. And they seem to have been a little bit focused on this whole fire doesn't, you know, harm a dragon sort of feature too, because that's part of the reason they put, um, is it Rickard is the hand of, uh, is, is Ned's dad Rickard? Yeah. yeah. He's the one that gets suspended. Yeah. He's the one that gets suspended, but the idea is that if he, if he's pure, he won't burn either, even though he's not a Targaryen. At least that's their excuse for setting him on fire. So that happened. <laughs> <laughs> that did happen. I like getting the story, but I, I have to admit I liked it better in the show. Um, well, your obvious <laughs> bias for abdomens uh, aside. Yes, exposed abdomen. See, if if they showed this scene, in the, and, and there was a breaking Jamie out scene, where he's tied to the post and the pig sten, pig, pig pen, pigsty thing, place, paddock, haddock outside. Um, even though that scene was kind of in the book where, uh, Jamie is taunting, uh, Catelyn and he is then sent away. In the book, he's in a dungeon cell and it smells. There's a lot of foul things around them. Um, and it's really just not something that would have been as filmable. You certainly don't want to <laughs> jump off to a, to a story from this location. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see why they changed it. But uh regardless, I mean, Jamie does still have a lot of his personality and he reviles being called Kingslayer, but he still takes jabs at Catelyn here and now and then. She first walks in and <laughs> he basically insinuates that she came down to have sex with him. Um And at the end of it all, really, when the story is being done being told, he insults Ned by and insults Catelyn by saying that clearly he is more honorable man than Ned was because Jamie has been faithful to his sister, never strayed, whereas Ned has a bastard son, Jon Snow. Allegedly. He her, yeah, he wants to make her feel bad mm. after all of this. And it's it's so see, interesting, being... Jamie's sense of honor. It's so strange because it's true, but it's so twisted. But he, it's right. He's never strayed from his sister. I mean, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Ever since he laid eyes on her first in the womb. Right? Yeah, exactly. Ever um, since he had eyes. I knew it was his love at first sight. Yes, um, literally. Catelyn calls for Brienne to grab her sword, and the chapter ends. We don't know what's going to happen. Yes, we do. But we'll have to wait until the next Catelyn chapter to find out. Well, let's see how many chapters ahead that is. <laughs> Take a look. Let us know. I will. Do, 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 do. I think it's do, time do, for do, some odes. Selena. You've already. Oh, thank you. Can I go first? Forced to provide. Surprisingly, that wraps it up for Catelyn. That was a really good final chapter for Catelyn. Her chapters this book have not been as interesting. All of them, I don't think. Some of them have been, 
but like with the Renly and with the the Renly with Renly the and Renly. everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think this was a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just because of Jamie and his amazing puns, which one of them is my own, which is oh. dun dun dun. I'd invite you to sit, but your brother has neglected to provide me a chair. <laughs> oh, Jamie. My my own is going towards uh, Jamie's cockiness. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, he says, and he kind of echoes some of the thoughts that she has, which is why this makes sense. Um, she says, your crimes will have earned you a place of torment in the deepest of the seven hells if the gods are just. He says, what gods are those, Lady Catelyn? The trees your husband's prayed to, or your husband prayed to? How well did they serve him when my sister took his head off? If there are gods, why is the world so full of pain and injustice? And she says, be- she says, because of men like you. And he says, there are no men like me. There is only me. me. Oh. Only me. So I thought yeah. you were, someone was going to choose that. So I didn't go for that, but uh, yeah. it's such a, there are no men like me. Only me. <laughs> he can, if you can say that covered in filth with like, haven't seen the light in months, like good, good for you. He that's, can. Yeah. That's the that's look swagger. he pulls off. My own goes to. Jamie as well. Uh, when he says to Catelyn, be careful, my lady. Tyrion says that people often claim to hunger for truth, but seldom like the taste when it's served up. Uh, yeah, I I was just going to uh, add, though, I think that uh, I'm in agreement. This is a this is a solid final scene for Catelyn in yeah. this book. And imagine if you were reading these books when they were being released, and now you had to wait to find out, does Catelyn chop off Jamie Lannister's head for him being an arrogant <laughs> son of a bitch. You know, it's it's funny because I wanted to talk just then. I didn't realize it was – obviously, who realizes this until <laughs> afterwards that it's the last Catelyn show. We would have been going – if we had been reading for the first time and there wasn't the show, um, you're reading and reading. There's 14 more point of view chapters to get through. The Battle of Blackwater is yet to happen. A ton of other stuff is yet to happen. And all you want to know is whether or not the Starks are down a hostage – but it doesn't happen. This whole book, however, He's like, give me um, your sword. Looking ahead, the after you skip the prologue, believe it or not, point of view chapter wise, book three opens with Jamie and is followed Yay! immediately, and is immediately followed by Catelyn. So that mystery must have been the big mystery that that George was really, um, you know, laying, leaving out for the third book, for it to open up in in. In that way. Yeah, he is, as you point out, the first point of view character that we know. I don't think it's the first chapter. Well, I mentioned the prologue. But oh, okay, I, okay. I mentioned the prologue, but really I'm saying this mystery was the big – because everything that happens with Blackwater and stuff, it, I assume it gets a little bit of a resolution given how many Tyrion and Sansa chapters there are to go. Um, but the Jamie Catelyn thing is probably the biggest thing that people were probably – you know, really waiting for the third book to figure it out if what happened. I would just then encourage people to send in your owns for this chapter as well as the other chapters that we'll be doing during the week. But uh, if you'd like to send in your owns for this Catalan chapter or Theon or Sansa, you can do so by tweeting at us, twitter.com slash game of owns, or you can visit Facebook, facebook.com backslash game of owns and scroll upon our wall just like this one person did who I copied their post and forgot to include their name. So oh. That's always a uh, sign of a well-prepared host. Are you blaming me? No, I did it. 
Oh, blame okay. it on the weatherman. If you'd like me to blame you, I have no problem doing that no, whatsoever. No, 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 that's okay. It wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. This is actually from Mariah Pollock, who sent in owns for a number of different chapters, but for cats, she says, Cat owned her emotions and owned the situation by making the most of the Lannister she can get to. Yeah. Mm. That's true. Yep. She turned him into a drunken fool. <laughs> But uh, he's kept his calm. He's kept his composure. He has. A lot of good information that uh, we discuss that we get out of the uh, back and forth between these two. Yeah, I can't wait to read more of it next uh, next book, as it turns out. That might take uh, about half a year <laughs> yeah. for us to get to. I'm just yeah, yeah, excited. Out right <laughs> a couple of other ways that you can reach out to us, contact at GameOfOwns.com. If you don't want to limit yourself to 140 characters, you can email that address. Uh, you can also post in the comments on winteriscoming.net. We read a bunch of those at the top of the show. And finally, it is the month of December, as Eric pointed out at the top of the show. So nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Over on iTunes, where you can rate and review the show, we'll read some of your reviews a little bit later on in the week. It's true. <laughs> it's it is true. true. <laughs> it is, I love it, it when we known. say that. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Selena Wilkin. I'm going to go back to watching Downton Abbey. Rose Leslie's on it. And I'm Micah Tannenbaum. I'm going to go back to watching football. Okay, that sounds good. I don't know what I'm going to go watch. You enjoy your show. Thanks. Selena. Very much. You enjoy your football, Micah. I will. Thank you.